Here it is. From deep inside your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, you know that uh, I've spent a considerable amount of my time and your time, and I respect your time, uh, over the past few years on the story of why New Orleans flooded almost 10 years ago. And uh, I figured, okay, enough of that. Move on to other projects and other things, other disputes with other people. And now, for a multitude of reasons, I'm uh, back on that story. One of of the reasons is that uh, I'm preparing a radio documentary for the BBC, which will air on the 10th anniversary, and will cover the recovery of the city as well as the story that we knew then and what we've learned since. Also, there was a, a, a piece in The New Yorker this week that uh, dragged me kicking and screaming back to the subject. It was a, a piece meditating and interviewing people about why New Orleanians cavil at uh, the description of the events of almost 10 years ago as, quote, Katrina, unquote. And uh, as I say, he interviewed several people, some of whom I know, and wrote a, a, a kind of a thoughtful piece if you exclude the fact that he was treating it as sort of a, a cranky and uh, but possibly amusing and possibly affection, uh, uh, possibly uh, you, you could view it affectionately, regionalism, quirky regionalism, quirky localism. They, they don't call it Katrina. They call it the federal flood. Does this whole piece, as I say, without ever mentioning why it is the people in New Orleans call it that. The words Army Corps of Engineers appear only in quoting a yard sign that appeared shortly after the flood, calling for holding the Corps of Engineers responsible. And he quotes the uh, 19, the book about the 1927 Mississippi River flood on the subject of the Army Corps. Not a word about their involvement in the events of 10 years ago. So that as you can imagine, got my non-Irish up and, you know, got me thinking again, well, that's sort of typical for the New York-based media until a story appeared in last Sunday's New York Times with the provocative headline, Decade After Katrina, Pointing Finger More Firmly at Army Corps. still on the web, as far as I know. If you can check it out. The uh, point of the story was it was an advanced look at a report written by several of the investigators who wrote the reports upon which I based the motion picture that I made on the subject. The reports investigating the flood. And they were reinvestigating this particular fact. In the months following the flood, the Army Corps of Engineers and his supporters would say quite frequently, well, the Army Corps wanted to build a better system than the one that failed. But the local officials, the greedy local officials, and the cranky environmentalists 
wouldn't let him. And uh, it kind of caught on, that explanation, with a lot of people outside New Orleans. And the point of this report, which was, as I say, leaked to the New York Times, is that these investigators, all of them academic types, uh, went back, looked at the available facts, looked at newly available facts, including emails, and came to the conclusion that that was a totally fallacious explanation, that there was no involvement by greedy locals or cranky environmentalists, that the Army Corps built the system it built for the reason the Army Corps usually builds stuff, because it was the cheapest way to do it. After this story appeared in the New York Times, I, uh, in the course of rooting around for new information for the BBC documentary, stumbled upon a congressional hearing held about six days after New Orleans flooded, September of 2005. And testifying before this congressional committee was a representative from the General Accountability Office, which is Congress's nonpartisan investigative arm. We all need an investigative... Well, we, we could use two investigative arms and a couple of investigative legs. But anyway, they have one. And this woman was testifying. And she gave a history of this particular project in, in uh, question, the 17th Street Canal flood wall. And her version on September 4th, 2005, was exactly the version that these investigators had uncovered in this new investigative report. That was nutty enough. The really nutty part was there was one other witness testifying before the committee on the same morning, sitting right beside her. It was the then commander of the United States Army Corps of Engineers. It's a nutty old world, isn't it? Hello, welcome to the show. You might. 
might be a stone Stone expert at kissing From London, England, where uh, they've just uh, completed a bitter little May. And the weather wasn't good either. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news from outside the bubble. No, oh, it's bubblicious today, I'll tell you. Well, I don't have to tell you, I'll tell you. Saudi, from The Guardian, Saudi Arabia, our freedom-loving friends... They're advertising for eight new executioners. Don't all run to the phone. They're recruiting extra staff to carry out an increasing number of death sentences, usually done by public beheading. No special qualifications are needed for the jobs, whose main role is, quote, executing a judgment of death, but also involve performing amputations on those convicted of lesser offenses, according to the advertisement posted on the Saudi Civil Service Jobs site said. Sounding better all the time, isn't it? The Islamic Kingdom is in the top five countries in the world for putting people to death. It ranked third in uh, last year after China and Iran and ahead of Iraq and the United States. Hey, that's good company. A man beheaded uh, a couple of weeks ago was the 85th person this year. 38 had committed drugs offenses. About half were Saudi. Saudi authorities have not said why the number of executions have increased so rapidly. Diplomats speculated maybe because more judges have been appointed, allowing a backlog of appeal cases to be heard. Political analysts say it might also reflect a tough response by the judiciary to regional turbulence. The jobs are classified as, quote, religious functionaries. They will be at the lower end of the civil service pay scale. But, you know, when you love what you do, And from the Independent of London, Greek hospitals have run out of supplies such as painkillers, scissors, and sheets, as budget cuts have left the health service unable to provide even basic provisions for operations and medical procedures. Huge cuts to the health care budget amid the economic turmoil which has made millions unemployed have left left more than uh, 2.5 million Greeks uninsured, up from 500,000 seven years ago. Healthcare spending has fallen by 25% since 2009, creating shortages of the most basic surgical equipment and leaving too little money to pay nurses' salaries. Reports have surfaced of patients being turned away from hospitals because there was no meter to measure their blood pressure. One patient was even asked to bring their own sheets to the hospital. A trainee surgeon at a respected state hospital in Athens says the situation is at the breaking point There is no money to repair medical equipment, no money for ambulances, 
No money to hire nurses, no money to buy modern surgical supplies, he told the Times of London. So austerity is working, just like we thought. By the way, the Independent also reports this week that the uh, country where people work the longest hours in Europe. Germany? No. France? No. Britain? (laughs) Greece. Also, from the Independent, regarding our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia, that country is reportedly planning to make a bid to head the United Nations Human Rights Council in a move that has been described by critics as the final nail in the coffin for the credibility of the Human Rights Council. But um, that's not all. Oh, uh, according to uh, one of the critics, the executive director of the UN Watch, hey, have you got that new UN Watch yet? It tells time, too. Uh, According to the executive director of UN Watch, quote, electing Saudi Arabia as the world's judge on human rights would be like making a pyromaniac the town fire chief, unquote. He's got a good press release writer, whatever else. And... Our freedom-loving friends in Pakistan. This from Reuters. In some regions of the most socially conservative areas in Pakistan, um, this weekend's local government elections are men-only affairs. Well, at least the men are having affairs. Local politicians and elders say parties contesting elections for district and village council seats in uh, districts of northwestern province of Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, known as KP, because why wouldn't it be? So you don't have to say that name again. Have struck deals barring women from voting. There are fears of similar arrangements across that province. It borders Afghanistan, where many Pashtun communities observe traditions so strict that many female candidates don't even publish their photographs on election posters. At least they're allowed to run. What the hell do you want? This is an area where the Taliban and other militant groups are active. In a parliamentary by-election in one of the districts, none of the eligible 50,000 women in the constituency turned out to vote. One report said mosques broadcast warnings to women. Polling stations were guarded by baton-wielding men who blockaded, or sorry, blocked the few women who did try to vote. The high court in Peshawar throughout a petition presented by 12 women from that district who demanded the election be rerun. The lawyer for the women said the case was dismissed after 15 minutes, during which the judge seemed unsure whether women really were entitled to vote at all. He asked whether it was a fundamental right for women to vote, said the lawyer. The leader of uh, the Islamist party that jointly controls the government in the KP province argues the women of that district had merely chosen to respect local traditions by not voting. But lest we point fingers, well, just point fingers more firmly, as the New York Times says, um, save another finger to point. From The Guardian, leaders of an ultra-Orthodox Jewish sect in North London have said children who are driven to school by their mothers will be turned away at the school gates. Rabbis from the Hasidic sect Bells Hey, Bells, you owe me money? No, not anymore. Uh, be- uh, rabbis from the marginal Hasidic sect, Bells, have told women in Stamford Hill who drive that they go against the traditional rules of modesty 
in our camp. It's a camp. In a letter sent to parents last week, seen by the Jewish Chronicle, the rabbis say there's been an increase in the number of mothers driving their children to school and add that this has led to great resentment among parents of pupils of our Hasidic institutions. Unquote. The letter says the ban will come into force in the summer, which is based on the recommendations of the Belzer spiritual leader in Israel. It says that if a mother has no other choice but to drive her child to school for medical reasons, for example, she should submit a request to the special committee to this effect, and the committee shall reconsider her request. Unquote. I'd take that language out if I were you. Oh, sorry, I got distracted. The move has been met with some disagreement within the Orthodox community, says the U.K. ambassador of the Jewish Orthodox Feminist Alliance. Did you know there was such a thing? Quote, what this is really about is the curtailing of women's freedom of movement, rendering them dependent upon men. The positioning of this ban is that women drivers somehow breach the values of modesty, which is absurd, as by any objective standpoint, there is nothing at all immodest about a woman driving a car, unquote, the ambassador of the Jewish Orthodox Feminist Alliance. But a statement issued on behalf of women in the sect by a local woman's organization said they felt extremely privileged and valued to be part of a community where the highest standards of refinement, morality, and dignity are respected. The statement continues, We believe that driving a vehicle is a high-pressured activity where our values may be compromised by exposure to selfishness, road rage, bad language, and other inappropriate behavior, unquote. The bells originated in Ukraine in the early 18th century. In uh, September last year, there was similar controversy when posters put up by an Orthodox Jewish group warned women to walk on one side of the road for a religious parade. The posters were removed by the city council after they were deemed unacceptable. Well, it's news from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. I don't have enough fingers to do all the pointing. That's the problem, really. But uh, now it is time for the copyrighted feature of this broadcast. News of the Godly. Kind of follows right along, doesn't it? You know... I guess by now, about the Duggars, stars of 19 Kids and... Is it called 19 Kids and Counting? Yeah, I think it is. A a reality... Yes, 19 Kids and Counting. A reality TV show series. Very successful on TLC, formerly called The Learning Channel, before they decided you didn't want to learn. You just wanted to watch. Um, And the, the son, the eldest son, I think, in the family, Josh, is in trouble because, um, he is admitted to um, molesting several underage girls 12 years ago, including his sisters. Now, this is troublesome because this is a, a, a family which is parading its Christianity, its family-friendly nature on the series. Uh, Josh, as a matter of fact, was on the fam- was a, a staffer at the Family Research Council, which is a Christian conservative organization lobbying in Washington, D.C. Well, turns out that uh, the there was a report against Josh Duggar, that included the molestation accusations against him. The report was dated 2006. In Touch magazine, a Christian magazine, published the report earlier this week, which led to Duggar publicly confessing that he molested young girls. But the police department destroyed the offense report. A spokesman for the Springdale, Arkansas police said they were ordered to destroy the report. A judge, Stacy Zimmerman, ordered the record expunged 
on the day the scandal broke. As far as the Springdale Police Department is concerned, said the spokesman, this report doesn't exist. You know what? As far as I'm concerned, the Springdale Police Department... Did, oh, all right. Oh, too much, you think? Too soon? Advertisers are decamping from 19 kids and counting. Choice Hotels International is pulling advertising. Payless Shoe Source. It's in the process of removing its ads. General Mills has removed the show from its schedule. Walgreens. The uh, network has pulled the show anyway. Duggar's past actions have led him He's now 27. He's now married with three children to issue a statement apologizing. Twelve years ago as a young teenager, I acted inexcusably, for which I'm extremely sorry and deeply regret. I hurt others, including my family and close friends. I confessed this to my parents, who took several steps to help me address the situation. He did resign his position as a lobbyist with the Family Research Council. The uh, BuzzFeed website reports that uh, in the police report before it was expunged, the Duggars told authorities they'd sent their son to a Christian program involving hard work and counseling, but later revealed that, in fact, they'd sent him to help a friend who acted as a mentor to him. It emerged that the family were advocates of a homeschooling program that contained deeply troubling advice on how to handle abuse. abuse. The Advanced Training Institute, which has been frequently mentioned on the Duggars' TLC show for years, the documents from ATI discuss a situation in which an older brother sexually abuses younger siblings and blames the immodest dress of his sisters for his behavior. The document was shared by in a website called Recovering Grace. But now news, new, more news of the godly. Catholic priests involved in the sexual abuse of young children were repeatedly moved to different parishes in Victoria State in, New, in uh, New Zealand, uh, Australia and sent on treatment trips to the United States and Italy before eventually being convicted of their crimes. This, according to testimony before that royal commission that is investigating child sexual abuse in Australia. Uh, also at that uh, hearing, that set of hearings, a 72-year-old man told the commission he was sexually and physically abused at St. Joseph's home, not the aspirin, the home, in Ballarat, in what he called horror rooms and dungeons. His uh, name at St. Joseph's was 29 because that was his locker number. He said he was five when he was first abused by a priest, having been told by a nun, quote, Father wants to cleanse you, 29. He blacked out after being given a drink by the priest when he came to, he, quote, hurt like bloody hell, he told the Royal Commission. The priest pushed him back out the door where the nun was waiting. She was laughing at me and told me to get back to work, unquote. His name, George Hill, said he was later subjected to what he believed was electric shock therapy when the nuns wanted to find out if he had told anyone of his abuse after he was found in a local hospital. They wanted to know what I had told them at the hospital. He said the nuns at the home would thrash him, and he was abused by three priests, including by one in a confessional box, while parishioners gave their confessions. Quote, if I made a noise as I was sitting beneath the priest's bench in the confessional, he would whack me across the face to shut me up, Hill said. The former Archbishop of Westminster in Britain has admitted he was wrong not to insist Catholic schools run by abbots. Hey, abbots! 
adopt the recommendations of a report on child abuse in the church. Cardinal Cormac Murphy O'Connor, I know he sounds Irish, but he's English, said he did not, or he's at least in England, said he did not ensure that Benedictine schools adopted the measures set out in the report because bishops do not have authority over abbots. What is this, chess? Some of the most famous Catholic schools in the country have been embroiled in abuse scandals for years. Murphy O'Connor said he should have made sure that a, a Nolan report, commissioned by him and published in 2001, which made more than 70 recommendations and is credited with changing the nature of how, how the church in the UK deals with abuse, he should have made the, sure the report's recommendations were adopted by monastic schools, regretted they were not. Quote, I must have thought abbots can manage themselves, unquote. Well, they were doing something to themselves. Oh, I'm sorry. And a headmaster told an 11-year-old boy he was being, it was his fault he was being abused, and a priest told another he was a bad child and would go to hell. This again in Ballarat in Australia. News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. It is a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now... It's the most popular dance in Washington, D.C., the revolving door waltz. And here are two new dancers in the competition. Senator Mary Landrieu, she's now a former senator, Democrat of Louisiana, who was a uh, friend of the oil industry, petroleum industry in Louisiana, it's a fairly major industry. She was a, she pushed aggressively for any energy-related policy goals while she was in the Senate. In fact, she helped force a vote to approve the Keystone XL pipeline and worked to expedite the approval of liquefied natural gas export terminals. Well, she's now joining a lobbying company, Vaness Feldman, to run its lobbying division and focus on energy issues. It's like nothing ever changed. She will not technically lobby Congress, as former senators are barred from engaging in lobby activity for two years after leaving office. She will be advising. The Department of Justice has never brought an enforcement action on unregistered lobbying. Ethics experts, you can't even say the words without choking, believe the law is regularly flouted. So she'll be a flout master. Her shift to a firm filled with clients she helped promote is becoming a regular feature of the Washington revolving door. According to The Intercept, Senator Judge Gregg, Republican of New Hampshire, shaped financial reform issues, then took a lucrative job for Goldman Sachs and for a Wall Street Trade Association. Former Representative Billy Towson of Louisiana cost taxpayers hundreds of billions of dollars by writing a law that prevents Medicare from importing prescription drugs from Canada or from negotiating for cheaper prices. Guess where Towson works now that he's left Congress? A drug company lobby group called Pharma. For $11 million a year, at least for one year. And there's more. Rapiscan Systems lobbied aggressively to win a major contract with the TSA to provide those X-ray body scanners. 
that are now sitting in warehouses. Former Rapiscan lobbyist Christopher Romig has taken a job with the House Appropriation Committee's Homeland Security Subcommittee, which happens to oversee the TSA's budget. See, it works both ways. During the previous push for a TSA contract, Rapiscan had employed Michael Chertoff, former Secretary of Homeland Security, who now works as a pundit. Rapiscan previously spent as much as 271000 on lobbying per year to help secure business with the TSA. And, um, of course, achieving the greatest notoriety this week as a, a member of the Revolving Door Waltz Club is um, former House Speaker Denny Hastert. Hastert, uh, who was indicted this week for lying to the FBI about payoffs he was giving to someone in return for that someone's silence about something that happened a long time ago when Denny Hastert was, sit down for this, a high school wrestling coach. He liked his colleagues in Congress to keep calling him coach. Anyway, he um, when he left uh, Congress, the speakership, he has been uh, advising. You can't lobby your former colleagues that quickly, but you can advise. Got caught in the, you know, as the revolving door shut on him, I guess. The revolving door waltz, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of our government. Um, speaking of people leaving, leaving posts and perhaps finding new avenues, it became uh, public knowledge this week that uh, former British Prime Minister Tony Blair has left his post been, uh, I think, for about the last four or five years. Sit down for this. You didn't get up after I told you to sit down before, did you? Okay, then keep sitting. He's leaving his post as Middle East Peace Envoy, representing the quartet of nations who are uh, doing so much to uh, broker peace in the Middle East. He's he's, uh, moving on to some kind of pastures, maybe even greener ones. If you're like me, At least 62 years old. You like to think about the past, but you need to think about your future. Sure, I was a Middle East peace envoy, but now I'm an envoy for your peace of mind. Hi, I'm Tony Blair. If, like me, you thought a reverse mortgage might be the end to your financial worries, and then found out through lucrative series of briefings that some reverse mortgages just lead to more problems, then I've got news for you. And people just like you. Like me. Thanks to the experts at Anomalous Trust. Now you have another way to try to protect yourself against future financial uncertainty. The double reverse mortgage. It works just like a reverse mortgage, except backwards. You send the payments from your reverse mortgage straight through to the qualified professionals at Anomalous Trust. They take care of all the paperwork. And the best part is... You continue to own your own home until you've paid it off. What could be simpler? And in these times of economic upheaval caused by forces which nobody could have predicted before I encouraged them, what could be more important for your family's future? And believe me, or writers like me, I've known the people at Anomalous Trust since we met at a luau in Corfu several summers ago. They're trained professionals, and they know what to do with your money. So, before you make any other choice, 
sit down and make the right choice to call for free information about a double reverse mortgage. Then stand up and call the number on your screen. Let the people at Anomalous Trust, people like me, take the uncertainty out of your financial future. Remember, when you're dealing with Anomalous Trust, the reversal is just the beginning. So call that number now before your screen gets any older. They'll send you complete information on the double reverse mortgage. But don't worry, it's no complicated brochure, just an easy-to-read dossier. Talk it over with your loved ones and tell them I, or someone like me, sent you. Then take the advice of the peace of mind envoy for the Middle West and the rest of the country and let a double reverse mortgage from Anomalous Trust make your future as bright as your past. Except in reverse. Call now. From London, this is the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I said. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, news of Inspector General. Earlier this month, a report from the Office of Inspector General for the Department of Homeland Security criticized the TSA for not properly managing the maintenance of screening equipment used in airports. The, US, the TSA has about four maintenance contracts valued about $1.2 billion to cover both preventative and corrective maintenance. The report said the agency does not have adequate policies and procedures in place for carrying out maintenance-related duties. So the Inspector General said the TSA cannot be assured that preventive maintenance is being routinely performed or that their equipment is in good working order. The IG issued three recommendations for the TSA, which basically add up to, do your job, babe. FBI agents, as the Senate meets this afternoon to consider 
whether to renew the Patriot Act. FBI agents can't point to any major terrorism cases they've cracked thanks to the key snooping powers in the Patriot Act. That's Section 215. This according to nobody else but the Justice Department's Inspector General. Michael Horowitz said that between 2004 and 2009, the FBI tripled its use of bulk collection. Ooh, wow, pardon me. I thought it was breakfast time. Under Section 215 of the Patriot Act, the FBI finally did come up with procedures to try to minimize the information it was gathering on non-targets, like you and me, babe. But it took far too long, said the Inspector General. Backers say the Patriot Act powers are critical. They must be kept intact. But the new report adds ammunition to opponents, with the Inspector General concluding that no major cases have been broken by use of the Patriot Act's records-keeping, sorry, records-snooping provisions. The agents we identified and interviewed quoting the IG, did not identify any major case developments that resulted from use of the records obtained in response to Section 215 orders, he concluded. Though he said agents did view the material they gathered as valuable. Mm-hmm. I bet. I bet. Increasingly, information was being scraped up on those who were not targets of terrorism investigations. As a result of technological advances that the intelligence community believed expanded the reach of the law. We believe, said the IG, these expanded uses require significant continued oversight. The uh, Special Inspector Inspector General on uh, Afghanistan Reconstruction has reported on the construction of a 64,000-square-foot command and control facility, 64K, at Camp Leatherneck in Helmand Province, which was intended to support the surge Back then, back there, the construction of the facility resulted in the waste of $36 million in U.S. taxpayer funds because the advice of multiple generals in the field was not followed. While a request to, the, to Congress for funding the facility was pending and a year before construction, multiple generals on the ground in Afghanistan began requesting cancellation of the facility. This included the general in charge of the surge in Helmand. The request to cancel was denied by another general, who believed it wouldn't be prudent to cancel a project for which funds had already been appropriated by Congress. You got it? Spend it. The building was intended to support the 2010 surge, but construction didn't begin until May 2011, just before the surge ended. During the course of the Inspector General's investigation, there were a number of instances in which military officials apparently decided to, quote, slow roll, unquote, or discourage candid responses to the Inspector General's requests for documents and information. And the inspector general says a senior officer serving as a legal advisor attempted to coach witnesses involved in the active investigation and encouraged military personnel not to cooperate with the inspector general. If you're wondering why things are going so well over there. The Department of Energy has already shoveled more than $4 billion into a facility in South Carolina intended to safely dispose of weapons-grade plutonium left over from the Cold War management problems and oversight issues, and high staff turnover rates has caused the project to go years behind schedule and billions over budget. I don't know why. Oh, yes, a report issued by the Department of Energy's Inspector General says the original cost estimate was established before the design work of the project was 90% complete. Estimate the budget first, then design it. News of Inspector General, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Speaking of people who were indicted this week, not just Danny Hastert. Danny, don't feel like we're singling you out. 
the, um, well, not the head of FIFA, Sepp Blatter. He was not indicted, but uh, five, perhaps even more, high-ranking officials of the, of the International Soccer Federation, which is known as FIFA, were indicted this week on Wednesday, I believe, by the U.S. new U.S. Attorney General, L- Loretta, Tom? Loretta Lynch. Yeah, that's it. Say it again, Tom. Loretta Lynch. Got it. Um, just wanted to make sure. And uh, the Swiss also in- announced they're opening an investigation into FIFA. The Swiss? You know what you have to do to, to discuss the Swiss on financial affairs? Uh, this follows years and years of reports, rumors, reports, suspicions about corruption at a high level in the International Football Federation, especially centering on the decision to award the World Cup in 2022 to Qatar, a Middle Eastern country where during the summertime when World Cups are usually played, the uh, temperature reaches, you know, like 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Is that that warm enough for you? So, uh, but as I say, so far, no, uh, no, no uh, legal action against the, the head of the organization where all this was going on, Sepp Blatter. He was reelected Friday, coincidentally, two days after the indictments were released. That's called timing. Uh, he did have a, opposition, a uh, Jordanian prince, Prince Ali, who stayed... Uh, in the election for the first ballot, which required a two-thirds majority, which Sepp Blatter didn't get. There was going to be a second ballot, which only required a uh, simple majority. But before that round of voting was held, the Jordanian prince withdrew from the election, saying he didn't want the 73 countries that voted for him in the first round to be punished any more than they already would be. It gives you FIFA. Never know how much they matter. Little payments that you make. To account name of bladder. Feeling that so hard to shake. They give you FIFA. In a meeting. FIFA when you cast your vote FIFA Bears repeating Only way to float your boat World Cup could have gone to Cyprus World Cup could have gone to France Could have sent the cup to any damn country just one bought the ticket to dance They gave you FIFA In the morning FIFA when you made your choice FIFA Don't need no warning What a way to use your voice Everybody loves football Corporations feel the same Adidas and Coke Just want a piece Of what they call the beautiful game It gives them FIFA 
when they pay up FIFA when the money rolls in FIFA It's not the great cup What a lovely way to have been of the Olympic movement. Another international scam, uh, movement. The Boston 2024 Olympic Committee promised some public funding in its bid to win the Summer Games. According to a report in the Boston Business Journal... The disclosures come in the so-called bid book obtained by the business publication and seem to contradict prior assurances by the organizers that the only public funds would be to provide security for the game. Seeming contradiction. In an excerpt from the bid book, Boston 2024 said a public authority will be required, quote, to fund land acquisition and infrastructure costs, unquote. The proposed Olympic Stadium would cost between 521 and 658 million, with two-thirds of the cost paid for by the issue of bonds. No Boston Olympics, the group that vigorously opposes the bid, called the documents, quote, the smoking gun. These documents make clear that Boston 2024 has one message when it meets privately with the IOC and an entirely different message when it speaks to the Massachusetts public about who will bear the costs of the Games, said the critics. The Olympic bid also counts on a $1 billion expansion of the Boston Convention Center, something the governor has said the state can't currently afford. Says the head of the Boston 2024 committee. Our point today is that an informed public is our best ally, unquote. (laughs) That's today. And Japan's high-tech toilets are nothing new, but their growing popularity has prompted the government to use them as a tool to promote tourism and sell the technology abroad. A panel 
sent up under Haruko Aramura, minister in charge of women's empowerment, submitted a report recommending the government use toilets to boost tourism in the lead-up to the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Japan's toilet technology should serve as a perfect tool to spread our culture of hospitality, the panel said in its report. One of the latest innovations is an app that allows people to use smartphones to control their toilets. The app allows smartphones to flush toilets and adjust the water pressure for the B-Day without using the toilet's control panel. What could go wrong? But it's all for the Olympics. Oh, is it ever a movement. And we all need one. Every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, very quickly, the apologies of the week. A Pennsylvania newspaper has apologized for publishing a letter to the editor calling for President Obama to be executed. The Daily Item of Sunbury's editorial board wrote that it had bungled the Obama attack letter. No bells went off when the editor handling the letter read it and placed it on the opinion page. Nearly 78-year-old paper wrote it was prompted to apologize by reader outrage. We'll strive to do better in the future, they said. We can't strive to do better in the past, so what other choice do you have? Britain's Methodist Church has made a public apology after an investigation uncovered reports of nearly 2,000 alleged abusers, including 914 allegations involving sexual abuse. An independent inquiry looked at the church's response to complaints and allegations dating back to 1950. General Secretary, the Reverend Dr. Martin Atkins, said abuse was a deep source of grief and shame. To the church, a law firm representing some of the victims welcomed the apology. The graduate student at the center of a scandal over a newly retracted study that has shaken trust in the conduct of social science apologized for lying about aspects of the study, including who paid for it and its methodology. But he says in his first interview since the scandal broke that he stands by its finding that gay canvassers can influence voters' attitudes on same-sex marriage. The director of the Cannes Film Film Festival, Thierry Frémaux, has issued an apology after some women were turned away from the premiere of a movie for not wearing high heels. There was perhaps a small moment of overzealousness, he said, according to Agence France Press. His remarks on what was dubbed Flatgate came in the mid of comments from Emily Blunt, who says, I think everyone should should wear flats, to be honest. We shouldn't wear high heels anymore. Says a statement from the festival, the rumor that the festival requires high heels for women on the steps is unfounded. Two restaurants. Well, I only have one here, so only one restaurant. A national restaurant chain has fired a local manager and issued an apology after an Army war veteran who says he has post-traumatic stress disorder was refused a table because he was accompanied by a service dog. Garrett Lachman and his five-year-old Labradoodle, Hershey, went to Hands suburban Chicago. When the family walked in, a hostess and then her manager questioned the need for the service dog and told them they were not allowed to bring the dog into the restaurant. Hands said the company is mortified to learn of how the veteran and his dog were treated. She said the manager, who had been employed at the restaurant for about two years, had been fired, and the restaurant is making a $2,000 donation to Pets for Vets. We're sincerely apologetic for the lack of respect and compassion that this veteran and his family experienced in our restaurant. It 
is company policy that all service dogs are always welcome in all Houlihan's restaurants. U.S. Defense Secretary Ashton Carter has apologized for the recent wrongful shipment of live anthrax to an American air base in Korea. Carter also vowed to take proper actions to prevent similar incidents from occurring in the future. The Pentagon has also admitted live anthrax may have been shipped to a lab in Australia in 2008. It's all over the place, this anthrax. It's a thing. The details of the Australian case are sketchy. In light of the embarrassing revelations, the U.S. military has ordered a sweeping review of practices meant to inactivate the deadly bacteria. And of course, there's no risk to the general public because it's only anthrax. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Did you know the uh, number of private contractors in Afghanistan outnumber U.S. troops three to one? Last year, private contractors accounted for 64% of all U.S. deaths in Afghanistan. But the U.S. Department of Labor doesn't routinely track the nationality workers are injured or killed under our stuff. It's from Foreign Policy Magazine. Percentage of contractors relative to deployed U.S. troops has increased significantly since the end of the Cold War. There have always been more contractors than U.S. troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. So, how about a contractor's day? How about support the contractor's bumper stickers? But thank you for your paid service. I could go on, but I can't go on, because, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations, over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, on the UF-SEN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America, via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, 7.490 megahertz shortwave. Yes, they still have it. On the Mighty 104 in Berlin... They still have Berlin. We'll always have Berlin. And around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archive whenever you want at harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com and available as a free podcast at iTunes. They still have iTunes. They don't have iPhoto anymore. Don't get me started on, on all that. On, uh, available as a free podcast, I say, on SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, and TuneIn.com. And it'd be just like my iPhoto library not having been wiped while I wasn't looking by Apple. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh.
A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead. Thanks to Jenny Lawson at WWNO in New Orleans. And thanks to Adrian Bodnam, Bodders, here at that crazy thing called Global in London for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this broadcast, a playlist of the music heard here on, and your opportunity to purchase, to procure for yourself or your loved ones, Cars I Talk t-shirts, it's all available at harryshare.com. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station for the Change is Easy radio network. So long from London. London.